welcome to Chumming It Up with Shark. Alongside of me is Sam Dostler. Sam, how are you today? I'm good, Mark. Thanks for having me. For sure, for sure. It's been some time, Sam. How are you? Good, yeah. Old uh, Springfield College friends. We had a, a radio show back in the day. Uh, it was a WSFB uh, 89.9 Springfield up in the the attic of one of the buildings on the campus of Springfield College. So, what's that, 10 years ago now, 11 years ago? It's been a long time. time. It's been some time, Sam. I'm glad to see you doing well and you know, you have a house now, and uh, that's wonderful. We're all getting old, um, and, uh, as you can imagine. Um, you know, like you said, 10 years out of college. You know, it's been, it's been some time. But, um, you know, I, I know you currently work um, for the Connecticut State Golf Association as the assistant director of operations, and you previously worked as the managing editor for AmateurGolf.com. You're covering the U.S. Open and Travelers Championship with them, amongst other events. And also, you're the play-by-play broadcaster for the UConn Athletics, ESPN Plus, and Central Connecticut State University. How about that resume? Wow. <laughs> it's, uh, it means I've, I've worked a lot, and I've worked a lot of different places. You know how it is in, in this industry. You bounce around. But, yeah, I found a home uh, this April, which was an interesting time to transition to into a new job with the Connecticut State Golf Association, uh, Assistant Director of Operations, and and because of COVID, my role really changed more into a media-driven role. Did a lot, do a lot of social media for them, a lot of video work, some website work, some uh, uh, some writing, and you know I, I follow closely what the Rhode Island Golf Association does, and I know everyone's happy that we were able to. Uh, get through this 2020 season. I know from our standpoint, uh, able to get through it without any COVID cases. Every tournament, once we once we began our schedule in June, every tournament was played as scheduled, and uh, we're happy to be on the the other side. And fingers crossed that this winter can uh, go somewhat smoothly, and we can get through to the 2021 season. Yeah, Sam, that's great, and I, I'm sure you're an avid golfer, so I'm sure you made it out. I made it out, you know, probably three, four times, maybe even five this year. I would like to make it more. I play in the golf league for work, but you know, with COVID going on, we kind of you know took a step back this year. How many times do you play golf? Uh, let's see. I probably got out. I played yesterday. Uh, yesterday being Sunday, so a week before the final round of the Masters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I probably got out about fifteen times this year, uh, and. It was one of those things where in Connecticut we were we never shut down golf, which which was huge. Uh, our organization was able to advocate that it was something that was essential and a great way for people to get outside and to exercise. Uh, and with that, of course, came a lot of restrictions early in the season. Uh, for instance, you weren't allowed to take out the flag sticks. There would be a, a piece of foam in the hole uh, yep. the ball would just kind of sit on top of that or there was a lever that you could lift up and eventually as the season went on it got to the point where golf was normal it's still normal in connecticut uh, a lot of courses have had record rounds the only stipulation is if you're in a, riding a cart with someone who's not in your home wear a face mask yeah uh, which we've been encouraging and uh, people i think overall have done a, a, a solid job with it of course you got people who, who aren't doing it but overall a solid job and a I think it's been huge to not just in Connecticut, but in states across the country where the number of rounds are 
are way, way, way up, and you've got golf courses losing other aspects of their income, whether it be the restaurants, uh, players going in for a drink at the bar after a round, weddings, which of course are huge at golf courses, massive, yeah, tournaments. Uh, it, it's been huge for golf courses to be able to stay open and operate and have this high volume of rounds to uh, really keep them afloat and in a lot of cases doing better than the previous year. Yeah, I, I honestly think it's a really good sport for people to play or just to go out and exercise because, you know, nowadays everybody doesn't feel comfortable going into a gym and, you know, what better way to do a round of golf and, you know, get your, your legs moving and, you know, the juice is flowing. So um, I, I'm right. totally there with you. Golf is definitely right. being used the right way too. Um, it's great because, it, and just one more thing on that topic, it's great just because it gives people an opportunity to, like you highlighted, see other people in a socially distant manner, see friends that you might normally have over your house for dinner. Uh, and rather than sitting inside, you can just go outside, walk around and play golf for a few hours. So it's, it's, it's really been good to, a good escape for a lot of people this year. For sure, for sure. Um, so speaking of which, we got a huge event coming up. Um, you know, the Masters, um, Augusta National, the home of the Masters. Um, so a lot of different favorites, Sam. Um, you know, of course, you got Rory going for the Grand Slam. You know, Tiger Woods trying to, you know, continue his historic legacy. Uh, I guess who in your eyes is really the favorite, one, and two, who could actually win this tournament? I mean, Augusta's always interesting. And you wonder what the different start time is going to do because the course, it's, it's from everything I'm reading, it's, it's green. Of course, it's usually played in April. There's a, a, a tinge of foliage, so it'll give it a bit of a different look. Yeah. Uh, we're used to the foliage up here in New England. Uh, but right now, at least earlier in the week, it's, it's playing softer. It's, it's November, so the ground uh, isn't quite as firm. And uh, Rory is on record saying that, that chipping is going to be trickier with these softer uh, conditions. So it'll be interesting to see how the course plays. Augusta is one of those courses where it really allows the guys who are older typically to, to be in the mix. Uh, think of a Fred Couples who, despite his older age, a lot of times you find him on the leaderboard, not so much in recent years, but up to four or five years ago. Correct. Uh, it seemed like he always was shooting a five under first round to put himself in the mix. Uh, Bernard Monger, uh, another guy who always seems to find himself in red numbers in the mix to some extent, even if it's just uh, on the fringe of the mix. The question is, will those guys, because of the familiarity being so important, Augusta, will those guys still be in it with the course? If it does play softer, the course is going to be playing longer. And, I mean, this course is tipped out to uh, about 7,400 yards. So Wow. Yeah. It's going to really, I think, turn into a course where you're going to see the Bombers strive. Uh, right. They tried to tie the proof it yes. um, a number of years ago, but, I mean, when you talk about Bombers, of course, you, you look right to Bryson DeChambeau, who uh, won the U.S. Open in September, and uh, he's been doing some pretty wild things in his practice rounds. He, he's using a 48-inch 40 driver, and just to give you an example of some of the lines he's taking, and we'll see if he actually does this once play starts on Thursday, but uh, into number one, 445-yard par four, 
He had a wedge for his second shot. Par 5 second hole, 575 yards, 8 iron for his second shot. Uh, the, th- the third hole uh, is a 350-yard par 4. Uh, he had a, excuse me, the yeah, the third hole, 350-yard par 4, 3 with that went over the green. Uh, so what's he going to do? Uh, is he going to be able to keep the momentum going? Of course, you always got John Rahm, Dustin Johnson who had to withdraw a couple of years ago after tripping up the stairs. He had a T2 at Houston last week, so he's, he's coming and playing well. Hideki Matsuyama, a T2. Brooks Kepka, who's been injury-plagued, but we know how well he does in he's Masters. Or in yeah. majors, I should say. 65-65 at Houston. So you've got a lot of the big guns who are, who are lining uh, themselves up for a good run. Of course, no Sergio Garcia this year announced that he has to withdraw due to COVID. So there's a lot of guys... Who are going to be right there, of course, Rory, uh, Tiger, you can never write him off. Uh, but I'm going to go with the guy who has been playing the best since this restart happened, and that's Bryson DeChambeau. There's, he's proven that his method can work uh, with his win at the U.S. Open. He almost won the PGA Championship, and he's really he's with the way he's decided to play the game, he's separated himself from the rest of the guys uh, in this field. And I know it looks, seems like some guys are trying to maybe catch up to him in that methodology, but right now he's, he's the guy out in front. Sam, I mean, he's destroying the ball. He is yeah. crushing the ball. He's having an aggressive mindset at the tee box. He knows he can hit, hit it further than anybody, a part of his group. So it only makes sense if he can do that for himself and have be advantageous at the same time, it's worth the gamble. So I, I fully agree. I think Bryson is just crushing the ball right now. You know, maybe you go for a finesse guy, maybe like a, you know, a Justin Thomas or, you know, even, um, you know, Roy McIlroy. But at the same time, you can also see the big bombers go for it. So uh, I wouldn't mind seeing Bryson win, and he, he deserves that at the same time. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, he does frustrate me to some extent. Uh, just with the way he goes about things, but he, he's proven his method works. Uh, it's 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 quite fascinating to to see what, how someone can really reconstruct his game. I mean, he goes after the ball like he's a, he's a uh, a long drive competition. Yeah, we 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 were talking about it in previous um, podcasts with some of my other guests on, and we were talking about Bryson DeChambeau. He really, he's a jacked-up player. He loves his personality. He loves to get into it. He's really like the MMA fighter of golf. He just loves to do it. And, um, you know, good purpose. I mean, he's crushing the ball. So, um, honing in on the Masters, let's just talk about the Masters historically. Um, You know, with the change of events, the change of time, change of dates, it really does have an effect. You hit the nail on the head. But how important is this event to golf? Because it, it reminds me of the Super Bowl of golf. Oh, it, it is 100%. It, it's one of those, it's really the only golf event that the entire sports world pays attention to uh, and just hones in on. It, I think it's it's one of those things where in a normal year, when it's, when it's in April, it's Everyone's able to, and I think we've been missing this a lot in 2020, not just with sports, we've missed those moments where you feel like there's that passage of time or or that event or holiday that signifies 
a certain time of the year. Yes. Uh, whether it be 4th of July, uh, of course, celebrated to some extent, but for most people, not like in past years, uh, the start of baseball season, Labor Day, Memorial Day, all those different things that signify the passage of time. And what makes the Masters so important is it really, in a lot of senses, kicks off the spring for, for a lot of sports fans. And then, of course, it's a major. It's got a great field. Uh, there's the Sunday roars at Augusta, all the historic comebacks, the historic wins. I mean, just looking back a year ago when Tiger Woods completed his comeback and, and won the 2019 edition, uh, there's just so much legacy and importance to the event that whether you're a golf fan watching every week or a sports fan tuning in for the final round on a Sunday, it just has that ability to capture your imaginations. I think largely because of when it is on the calendar, you see the green, it's warm, spring's coming, uh, and it just makes you feel good inside. Yeah. And at the same time too, you know, NCAA tournament, March Madness is always, you know, good for that time of year too. So, you know, when you smell the masters, you also smell March Madness. So, I, I agree with you. Um, that March, not to diverge too much, but that March into April stretch is my favorite time in sports because, as you said, you got the conference tournaments for college basketball. You roll right into the NCAA tournament, March Madness, and you know you start seeing those commercials for the Masters while you're watching. Yep. Then you roll into the Masters. You've got baseball starting up, and. I think, like, just to go back to bringing it all together, you talk about the pa feeling the passage of time and the and the events that signify where you are in the year. And I think all of those combined uh, make up a significant part of the calendar for the sports sports fan and uh, help elevate the Masters in, in importance. Oh, for sure. And anytime you hear the Masters theme song, I mean, Sam, you know how much you love it. You know, you can have it as your ringtone on your cell phone. Um, because, you know, you just hear it, and it, it just brings you joy. So I, I'm definitely looking forward to that big event this week, and I'm sure it's going to live up to its expectations. Yeah, uh, I think it's coming at a really good time. <laughs> you know, we're going to have two Masters as long as all goes well in six months, but it's coming at a really good time. Uh, we just had a very contentious election, and I think there's a lot of people who are looking for – something to distract them from that, something to forget about that. And I, I personally, I know leading up to the election, I kept seeing the tweets and different things about the Masters being next week, and I kept reminding myself, well, no matter how this turns out, uh, we have the Masters next week. You know, still that still is gonna happen. happen. Still gonna week. happen. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think coming at, at, a, at a great time, and also uh, at a time when it's starting to get darker, so for a lot of people, uh, I think it's, it's going to be a good pick-me-up for a lot of people, golfers and fans alike. Yeah, and I, I mean, we talk about it, you know, all the time, too, with sports. It's such a good distraction, and, you know, there's not a better time and place to have it now. So um, definitely looking forward to that. I want to talk about a topic that, you know, rose this week, obviously, Alex Cora becoming the new manager for the Red Sox, back into the uniform in Boston. I, I saw your tweet about him becoming the manager, and it seems like you weren't too fond of the hiring. And I just want to know why that was the case. Yeah, switching gears on me a little bit here. <laughs> a little bit. So this, and, and I, uh, I haven't 
done a ton of research into this topic and obviously a Red Sox fan many, many years watch and read about them. Uh, Alex Cora, fantastic manager, uh, obviously was the manager for, you could argue, the greatest Red Sox team ever in 2018, uh, winning that World Series over the Dodgers. And a little bit of a down year in 2019, but for me, the, the big problem with it is I just... And this isn't his fault, but I feel like baseball is letting these guys get off easy for what they they did in Houston. Um, and I, I just have trouble getting getting past that. Uh, I think it's something that I will get past, and uh, it just it might take a little while. And I think it comes too. And um, I know you follow the Red Sox for a long time, Mark. I think it comes too from a point of not being happy with the direction the Red Sox have gone in the last 18 months, whether Agreed. it be Agreed. trading rookie bets, uh, getting rid of some other pieces that have been important to them. Having no starting pitchers. Having yes. no starting pitchers. I mean, Eduardo Rodriguez, not really, not their fault, uh, given his, his complications due to COVID. But at the same time, you're not going to win with just one guy and Correct. Nathan Abaldi, who is injury prompt. And then I also didn't love the way that they treated Ron Renneke at the end of the season, where they let him go, announced that they were going to let him go prior to the final game of the regular season. This is a guy, he was the bench coach for Cora during those two years. Mm-hmm. That Cora was the manager. He didn't have, let's be honest here, he didn't have anything to work with this year. No, he didn't. You're what, right. What did you expect? It was a 60-game bizarre season. You didn't have anything to work with, no pitching, traded away your best player. And I, I, I thought they could have at least done him the respect of waiting till a couple days after. Because, I mean, here we are. The Red Sox season ended in September. Cora got hired just a couple of days ago in mm-hmm. November. So it, it comes down to what was the rush? And if Renneke was such a good bench coach to Cora before – why can't you maybe see if that's something that, that would be of interest? It, it, just a few things that irked me uh, through the whole process. No, and, and I totally agree with you. I mean, Renneke didn't have a fair shot. The preparation was to fail. There was absolutely no help you know, regarding his position, being the manager of the Red Sox this year. And I, I, I kind of agree with you when it comes to the cheating in, in baseball. I honestly think there has to be some kind of major discipline. I mean, you know, with Alex Corrigan, a one-year slap on the wrist. And I believe that, you know, the Red Sox front office saw it fully, uh, transparency, that he was going to become the manager after, you know, his suspension. So um, I do have um, a question regarding Chom Blue, though, because it, it stinks because he just became – you know, the, the GM, the guy that makes mostly all the decisions. And then he finds five candidates that he enjoys. But then he has to decide either Sam Fold or Alex Cora. And Alex Cora is obviously the fan favorite, the ownership favorite, and the player's favorite. So I honestly don't think that... Do you think that John Blue got a, 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 a favorable decision out of this or did that come from management i would think that likely came strongly down from management um just they're the ones who had core in a few years ago 
I'm sure there was some strong opinions made. And like you said, like you said, it's been kind of bubbling for a little while that Alex Cora was going to come back. It kind of felt inevitable for the last, I don't know, six, eight weeks, somewhere in that time frame, even going back to close to when the regular season ended, I remember hearing and reading about some, some opinions on that. So although other candidates were interviewed and there was a, Sam Fold, who was the other guy, if you want to call it that. I, I don't think there really was a decision. And you alluded to it a minute ago where you thought that there was a chance that Alex Cora was the guy they had eyes on for 2021 all along. And that, that wouldn't surprise me uh, in, the, in the least. Yeah. I, I think Alex Cora, you know, good for him coming back. And I think he has the player's vote. So. I'm not going to hate on it too much because I'm a you know Red Sox fan at heart, but yeah, I do question it slightly, um, and I I feel like that Bloom didn't get a fair chance to really make his own decision. You can even I could even say, I even think Dave Dombrowski probably got the short end of the stick a bit. I mean, the guy won what three AL East division titles in a row, and they had one year where they weren't quite as good as expected. Yes. they didn't really have the starting pitching, and and that was that. Right. I don't, and just circling back to punishments in the MLB, they obviously haven't learned their lesson. This is a bit of a rant, but like with the Justin Turner situation where they said, Oh, he, he knows what he did wrong. Right. Come on. Let's, you gotta show a little bit of a backbone here, major league baseball and, and give these players what they deserve in, in some cases, uh, whether it be the Astros players for the cheating a couple in 2017 and then not getting anything last year. And then, uh, Justin Turner not getting anything. And I, I think, honestly, I'd even feel better about the Alex Cora hiring. Maybe if the players got something. It just feels like that Astros situation never got fully resolved, in my mind. Not at all. It was, like I said, when Alex when Alex Cora got a slap on the wrist, so did everyone else. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you. And the Justin Turner thing, really quickly, before I ask you the last question here, we had um, we have a segment called That's BS, and the Rob Manfred show on the World Series post game was just horrific. Oh my goodness, was he drunk or what? Well, it's funny because right, I thought when he was up on the stage or the first time I heard him talking, he sounded fine. He did. And then when they went over to do the what the MVP yes. award. I don't know what happened. I read something about maybe the bug in his ear. You know how this is when you you have an ear earpiece in your ear and you're listening to a producer talking it, and maybe or maybe your sounds echoing and you get a little delayed. True. I read something about that, but boy, I don't I don't know what happened. <laughs> Nothing can beat those rosy cheeks and those red eyes, Sam. He he was he was feeling good, but he was definitely talking slow throughout that MVP. Um, yeah. you know, presentation. So, um, we always end on, you know, guests coming on, you know, promoting their work. Are you currently working on anything aside from, you know, your daily job that you would like to share? Or, um, you know, broadcasting situations. Are you doing virtual broadcasting? Yeah. Well, we got, there's some, I'm not sure how much I'm at. Well, you know, the hockey East came out and said they're playing some hockey this year. So, uh, I'm hoping to do some UConn women's hockey. Um, was trying to figure out what the setup is and what the, the safety is. Of course, UConn's not doing any fans for 
for any sports, which is disappointing. As I know you're a Providence fan, UConn back in the Big East this year. I had my uh, Gamble Pavilion season tickets. Oh yeah, uh, ready to roll. Um, and then outside of sports, uh, a friend of mine from high school and myself, we have a website called New England Travel Journal, uh, com is where you can find us. You can also find us on Instagram. Just reached 25,000 followers today. Wow. And, uh, Great. Yeah, so we, awesome. we try to, it's, it's sort of a side project for us when we have time. We'll post a photo of the day, and then when we travel around New England, we'll write a short article, do a little video, and uh, we try to get advertisers and sponsors, but that's that's the hard part. Um, but it's a, it's a fun hobby to sort of uh, muse about our, our travels around New England. So that's, that's some, of stuff, some of the stuff I got going on, and then we'll, we'll see what happens as far as uh, any broadcasting goes. I just hope uh, golf season can go off without a hitch. Uh, in 2021, and the Connecticut State Golf Association season can uh, get rolling on time in April. Agreed, and, and you know you're you're part of a great association. You know they do a lot for the community in Connecticut, as well as you know Rhode Island. You know has their own association, so they're doing extremely well. Um, you did emphasize UConn, and I did actually have a question for you. Um, they're obviously back in the Big East since 2013. And they are playing against the PC Friars, my beloved Friars. Um, a quick thought on the competition in the Big East. Yeah, I mean, even though UConn hasn't been in the league, I've spent a lot of time watching it. I, there was a few years even where my dad and I were making a, a yearly Big East pilgrimage up to Providence because we, we missed Big East basketball and we saw a few games at the dunk. And I had designs on... I'm trying to get to that UConn at Providence game this year uh, when it happened at the dunk. Of course, that's not going to happen. But uh, assuming that games are able to be played and teams stay healthy and COVID-free, I know UConn is dealing with a COVID situation right now. Marquette has had one. Villanova's had one. Uh, Assuming that all goes well, uh, I think it's going to be knockdown, drag down. It's going to be Big East basketball. And uh, I'm really looking forward to, to UConn getting themselves back in there. Dan Hurley, who uh, you Rhode Islanders know well from his days at, at URI, yep, is, is doing a really, really good job. And I think this year is going to be a big test for him. Uh, he's gotten better t- talent onto the roster. And now it's time to see, does that talent uh, move over and, and play well against the Big East? They closed the season really, really well. But that was in the American. The Big East is a different ball game. Uh, but they played they played Villanova tough last year. They uh, lost a double overtime game to Xavier in an early season conference tournament. Uh, so, and then both those games were before they sort of hit their stride in late January, early February. So, uh, a lot of excitement, and uh, the league's always going to be tough. Of course, like Villanova, Creighton look like the the, the the teams to beat for sure, but. Uh, as always in the Big East, anybody can beat anybody on any given night. I think that's the beauty in, in that conference. So, um, you know, you have Coach Hurley and Ed Cooley, you know, the, the two of them going toe-to-toe each year. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of, you know, talking between you and me, Sam, me and you. And, uh, you know, I look forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Sam, any final thoughts? Um, you know, appreciate your time here. Yeah, uh, 
appreciate you having me. Just I think the, the Masters is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I think uh, at the end of the day, Bryson DeChambeau is going to win his second straight green jacket. I think Tiger Woods, uh, we didn't touch on him, just to touch on him quickly. Defending champ, 44 years old, hasn't been playing much, so who knows what you're going to get, but he's a guy who usually plays pretty well at the Masters, no matter what kind of form he has uh, been coming in, but it's going to be uh, a great four days, and uh, good to watch something familiar at an unfamiliar time. Agreed, agreed, and a great closing there. Um, Sam, again, we appreciate your time, and you know, look forward to uh, future you know, conversations with you. Yes, sir. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate right. you having me on. Thank you.